I'm about to admit something in this podcast. (sighs) I struggle with body image issues. Wow, who doesn't, right? (laughs) I think body image issues and insecurities are something that cut across the board for a lot of intersecting identities. Whether it's gender, race, socioeconomic class, sexualities, abilities. All the more when you're someone from marginalized communities. The pressure is worse for women, as countless feminists have pointed out. The body is simultaneously a woman's source of power, says post-feminism, and also something that requires constant monitoring, surveillance, discipline, and remodeling, all the while indulging in consumer spending. And like I said, I myself have struggled when it comes to body image, and admittedly, continue to struggle every so often, albeit internally. I guess when you're a five-foot, flat-chested, skinny fat woman who looks the same way she did when she was in her teens, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with feeling at home in your body after puberty when you realize you practically look the same while everybody else around you so obviously went through puberty. Their glow up, if you will. Like, everybody else became hot, you stayed cute. And because of that, you're going to struggle with being taken seriously as an adult, with being looked at as someone who can wield authority and thus can be treated with respect. So you could try to imagine me being a university instructor while also looking like a student myself. I can't count how many times I had to assert myself by suddenly showing that the ID I wore was a faculty ID or the times I had to assert myself in class because I guess when you look like everybody else in the room, they're going to think you're just like them. You're also going to struggle with being always seen as the young one, the one everybody tries to act like they have to protect, or the one that they see as sort of uh, juvenile. You're going to feel awkward in the body when you don't see yourself represented in the images that sell you your clothes or your confidence. You're going to learn how to hate the word fat and fear becoming just that. So you internally resent anyone who even slightly hints that you've gotten bigger or make a dumb joke about how you look pregnant or you resent yourself when you pinch your stomach or notice that your chicks have gotten fuller from your trip to Japan because, God forbid, you've allowed yourself to enjoy nourishing food. And then you're going to feel like shit when you spend way too much time on instagram watching everybody else's curated performative lives where anything and everything is churned into content (music) 
you're now probably listening to this and thinking to yourself, That must be super fucking hard for you. But it's worth asking, where do these struggles even come from? Is it phones? It's phones, right? Where did I, like so many other people regardless of gender, race, and social class, learn to occasionally loathe my body so much? As a self-identifying feminist in progress who's on the woke side and is a relatively smart one, don't I already know that conventional beauty standards are a racist, sexist, ableist, fatphobic, transphobic social construct designed by institutions to preserve existing power relations and sell products, thereby making money for themselves while I and so many other consumers swing in a pendulum of self-loathing and self-liking. Yes, I do know that. And don't I know that it's unjust that we live in a society where being light-skinned, cisgender, able-bodied, or thin is considered more attractive, i.e. acceptable, than being dark-skinned, transgendered, disabled, or fat? Why, I do know that. I know that we live in a society. I also know that our obsession with beauty and certain ideal body types is provoked by a combination of advertising, the cosmetic and fitness industries, and social media influencers who are telling us we can look just like them if we just buy whatever they hashtag ad, hashtag paid partnership, hashtag sponsored. But my wokeness does not exempt me from any insecurity with not living up to beauty standards that come from people with privilege in our unequal society. Standards that we've put so much value on because... Patriarchy? All of those said, I suppose there's a solution, isn't there? The answer is, love your body! Thanks for joining me in this episode of A Feminist in Progress. But wait, loving your body doesn't actually totally cut it. Let me womansplain. Now, as a young woman who came of age during the aughts, I count myself as part of a generation of girls who grew up with body image issues and low self-confidence after being inundated with media representations of hypersexualized teens and young women. Britney Spears has been entered to the chat. <laughs> and for me personally, the mid-2000s were also a time when I was beginning to watch WWE and if you know anything about the company at the time, the women were hypersexualized. Take for example the late Ashley Masaru, an up-and-coming pro wrestler at the time who was particularly emblematic of the impossible body standards I was lulled into thinking I had to live up to. Because that was what was considered hot or sexy or supposed to be immediately attractive to men.
Simultaneously, however, around this time, there was also a proliferation of the girl power slogan. And what exactly did girls have power to do? Oh, that's right. Girls had the power to consume. Clothing, sports, young adult literature. Hello, Hermione Granger. Uh, music. Hello, Spice Girls. Among others. Girl power referred to a commodity and to powerful consumers. No young girls who annoyed their parents into buying whatever it was that girl powerness was selling. Girl power was having boy bands sing you songs that felt vaguely dedicated to you while also buying magazines that had them on the cover and also told you to do A, B, and C and buy X, Y, and Z to be desirable. Girl power is part of a constellation of institutional players invested in resolving a problem that they've created themselves. A so-called girl crisis or our plummeting self-esteem and confidence. This so-called empowerment of girls bleeds into other modern-day discourses that concern girls and women. Namely, the love-your-body discourses. Feminist scholars Rosalind Gill and Anna-Sophia Elias describe love-your-body discourses, henceforth LYB discourses, as positive, affirmative, seemingly feminist-inflected media messages targeted exclusively at girls and women that exhort us to believe we are beautiful, to remember that we are incredible, and that tell us that we have the power to redefine the rules of beauty. Gosh. So, according to Gil and Elias, LYB discourses are important and powerful because of the way they appear to interrupt the almost entirely normalized hostile judgment and surveillance of women's bodies in contemporary media culture. As such, they may have a profound uh, affective force for women more accustomed to being invited to relate to their own and other women's bodies in terms of flaws like spots, cellulite, dry skin, and battles with eating disorders, fat, self-esteem. They go on to argue that LYB discourses do not represent a straightforward liberation from tyrannical beauty standards and may in fact instantiate new, more pernicious forms of power that engender a shift from bodily to psychic regulation. In a way, this relates to how the so-called confidence problem of women and girls, and might I argue others outside those categories, is located on the body and in one's self-image. The solution to the problem, if you think about it, is often found in advertising and branding, which have attached the goal of self-confidence in its products want to feel good in your body drink this slimming tea i'm selling but not necessarily consuming myself and prepare to literally shit yourself into a thinner waist so that you love what you see on your phone want to fit in that dress you want 
try these appetite suppressing wait what are they exactly anyway try them and remember that i'm not responsible if you develop an eating disorder another feminist scholar sarah bennettweiser zooms in on the problem in her book empowered popular feminism and popular misogyny and notes that much of popular feminist advertising seems to fulfill a starkly economic function where feminist politics are folded into neoliberal logics and rerouted toward individualism you got a problem with your self-esteem well you can get over it if you just work hard enough and believe in yourself more and we know what can help this well whatever this is we're selling you these days we're told and we tell each other to love your body whether in social media or traditional media platforms we're endlessly exhorted to be confident and this confidence is key to loving our bodies it's as if there's now the mandate to be confident but when you think about it popular feminism is actually just responding to the years-long messaging that generations of women and girls have received when it comes to idealized femininity what that is and how they should live up to that part of the confidence mandate are the lyb discourses that is you know confidence is route to self-esteem which in turn is positioned as fundamentally about feeling positive about one's body and a form of feminist politics in and of itself don't get me wrong though there's nothing wrong with loving your body i just think that lyb discourses have been hijacked by neoliberal capitalism and popular feminism and have turned into something you have to do and that it's a problem if you don't let's look at the positive in body positivity for a moment lyb discourses admittedly provide a critique of the ways in which the beauty industry has portrayed women by injuring them. LYB discourses are an attempt to respond to earlier feminist critiques of the media and the beauty industry. They challenge these image ideals by insisting that women should be confident in their bodies regardless of whether they fit into a conventional beauty ideal. Sarah Bennett Weiser says that in many ways, the love your body discourses are to be celebrated. These campaigns can make concrete what seem to be abstractions of feminism and can offer one way for women to feel better about their bodies, to overcome the injury of socially and culturally dominant norms of femininity. Indeed, they are particularly powerful because of the way they seem to interrupt hostile judgment and surveillance of women's bodies that has become almost entirely normative in contemporary culture. But is the answer really as simple as individuals loving their bodies? Of course not. If that were so, then why is it that Okay, for example, there is still a fine line of wanting to be beautiful and wanting to be taken seriously. Think about the tendency to view hyperfemininity as frivolous or shallow or vain. 
Now, most of my 20s was spent in the academe, both as a university instructor and as a grad student. And I've noticed that not a lot of women lean into embracing hyperfemininity. That is to say, I don't see a lot of dolled up queens and girl bosses in stilettos and power suits that would make Hillary Rodham Clinton proud. It's as if there's a hush-hush understanding that smart women aren't supposed to care about beauty or that doing so is a waste of her time. She knows that knowledge awaits. Besides, women being smart and beautiful? No, it has to be one or the other, femoids. Never both, saith the patriarchy. But I do get the impression that, whether consciously or subconsciously, women in male-dominated fields, like the academe for example, sometimes feel like they have to present more masculine or tone down their femininity in order to be taken more seriously because of the prejudice that beautified femininity equals frivolous. Worry about getting published, Madame Professor, and not whether your eyebrows are on fleek. (laughs) Okay, tell me, how many tenured professors deliver their lecture in pressed-on nails, makeup that would make a beauty YouTuber proud when they're not busy tearing each other down, and an outfit that screams HBIC head bitch in charge. And if they did, it would be construed as them making a statement rather than just them expressing themselves. Let's admit it. We live in a society where women are simultaneously pressured to be beautiful and belittled for caring about being beautiful. Let's also admit that beauty standards aren't limited to cisgender women such as myself. Transgender women go through it, as well as a unique pressure to pass. I highly recommend watching ContraPoint's video beauty which i've linked to in the description in it she talks about her experience of getting facial feminization surgery and why she chose to go through it she talks about the idea of passing and the idea of living up to the standards of what society considers women should look like body dysmorphia that comes from trying to live up to beauty standards can also be experienced by gay men who get aesthetic procedures done that aren't so different from what women get done for themselves, like lip or cheek fillers or liposuction. Heck, even the chads have what is called looks maxing, where they get procedures that include, but not limited to, genioplasty or square chin implant, zygomatic arch implant to get sharper cheekbones, or brow ridge implants. Basically, anything they think fulfills the idea of what they think attracts us femoids. In this economy of visibility, says Sarah Bennett-Weiser, the injury of low self-esteem is seen as something that is an individual problem, one of not believing in yourself or listening to haters. 
This in turn positions individual capacity to believe in oneself as the resolution to low self-esteem, rather than look to structural sexism, which provides the context for low self-esteem in the first place. So, what's the solution to dealing with body positivity when being positive about your body has been co-opted by neoliberal capitalism through the beauty industry? What do you do about a movement that once encouraged people to take pride in their bodies and subvert unattainable Eurocentric beauty standards, but has now morphed into a culture that perpetuates those very same ideal? Do I mean, do I really want to take advice about loving my body from an influencer who has access to material resources that rids them of any perceived flaw in femininity? In the aforementioned ContraPoints video titled Beauty, Natalie Wynn offers what she thinks could be a solution, or at least a subversion, to oppressive beauty standards. It's still individualized, that is to say, she doesn't call to action taking down the systems that have control over beauty standards, like corporations. Beauty standards are social constructs and social constructs, she says, can change. So she proposes original style as a solution. Specifically, style as an alternative ideal to beauty. Style, she says, is a way of cultivating a personal aesthetic that you have complete control over. It's like art in that originality is a virtue. Style is an individual aesthetic unlike the collective aesthetic of beauty standards. And so, Natalie says, even if you don't conform to conventional beauty standards, through the power of original style, you can create the taste by which your unique beauty is to be appreciated. Apart from harnessing the power of original style, I believe that you can get off the bandwagon of body positivity co-optation by neoliberal capitalism by adapting a body-neutral philosophy when it comes to your relationship with body image. In an essay published on the One Woman Project website, Miranda Park sees body neutrality as one that has emerged from a seeming void between self-criticism and self-love to offer another alternative acceptance of our bodies as they are. Body neutrality, then, is accepting of our bodies as they are, not necessarily loving our body, but not hating it either. Anushka Rees, author of the book Beyond Beautiful, a practical guide to being happy, confident, and new in a looks-obsessed world, and proponent of body neutrality, says that the goal of body neutrality is to dial down the enormous significance that's being given to physical attractiveness in our society. It goes beyond body positivity in that it's not just about pushing back on the specific beauty ideals of our time, but on all aspects of society that continues to promote beauty as essential, consequential, and the ultimate accomplishment and that a person's appearance is indicative of their worth. So. A body-neutral way of thinking can come in the form of 
and I'm taking examples from Anushka's Instagram post. I am more than my appearance. The way I look is just one of the many facets that make me, me. My worth and lovability do not depend on my looks. I am worthy for a ton of other reasons. My appearance is going to shape shift a million times throughout my life. Sometimes I'll find myself more attractive, sometimes less so. And that's okay. I don't need to feel attractive at all times to be happy and live my best life. Looking and feeling attractive are not gatekeepers to my happiness. Let me reiterate. Body neutrality is the idea that your self-worth and happiness are not contingent on your body image. Rather, your body image is just one facet of your identity, which you can remain neutral about. It's also important to underscore that body neutrality doesn't seek to shame or devalue those who do express love for their bodies and feel confident in the way they look. It just seeks to remind us that we have many other qualities which makes us who we are. So there's no shame in hashtag love yourself or hashtag body positivity. I think I can safely say that I'm getting good at being body neutral. For instance, I stick to my fitness routine of working out for at least 30 minutes every day, not necessarily because I want to look better, but because I want to feel better. And when there is a day when I don't feel like it, I give myself a pass and remind myself I can get back on track the next day. I measure my fitness progress not by how many kilos I've lost to be honest, I don't even know if I'm losing weight because I don't check myself on the scale. But I measure my progress by other metrics. For instance, I've noticed that some of my clothes sometimes fit well again compared to this point last year during lockdown or when I was quietly going through a depressive episode for most of 2019. But when there are times when clothes don't fit well anymore... I don't know, I just accept it. They're just clothes, they're replaceable. You can get yourself new ones. Anyway, I'm also now physically stronger in that I can carry things in the house without having to depend on somebody else to get the job done. I can now also carry groceries without being easily winded or sore because I've conditioned myself through weeks of strength-focused workouts to bear heavy weights. I can now also go on long walks or do other chores without getting winded too easily. I am by no means, you know, lean and toned or whatever. There's hardly any muscle definition when it comes to my arms, I admit. <laughs> I still have the bat wings. But I am now feeling gradually more at home in my own body, which actually says a lot. When it comes to clothes, I've kept away for future donations any clothes that no longer fit me properly or ones that I don't feel good in anymore. Instead, I am keeping the clothes that allow me to express myself the way I want to. So 
if anyone around the Baguio area knows anyone who can benefit from pre-loved clothes, please let me know. Please, please, please. <laughs> and I've gotten a little better, I believe, when it comes to my relationship with food. I, I, I don't obsess about calorie consumption, nor do I make the mistake of thinking food in terms of good or bad. I don't punish myself by doing a whole bunch of workouts or depriving myself after eating a lot of food. I am unlearning being fat phobic, which is not easy. I'm also still learning to take the initiative of not talking about somebody's weight, especially when I see them in person or see a photo of them. So. Cut it with the toxic Filipino culture of remarking tumabaka or pumayat ka. I will take a soapbox moment and say never comment on someone's weight. Even when you think you're complimenting them because you never really know someone's situation. Besides, congratulating someone for their weight reinforces the notion that self-worth is inextricable from one's body weight. I still have little insecurities here and there, I admit. For instance, I, a woman in her 30s, am going through an acne problem that I don't recall going through when I was actually in the age of puberty. I mean, is this maskne or stress induced? <laughs> Help! It's like, you know. I don't even have an exhaustive skincare routine that keeps me looking like a 30-year-old with prepubescent skin because I actually don't have the resources to finance a decent and effective skincare routine. So I'm still learning to apply body neutrality when it comes to my face. And this too is part of my journey as a feminist in progress learning to be neutral when it comes to my body and remembering that my self-worth is so 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 much more than my corporeal being now you might be wondering well miss price how do i apply body neutrality in my life in my journey as a feminist in progress well, dear, let's take a page, okay, three slides, from the Ai Wei community, a movement initiated by actor and activist, oh, she actually considers herself an advocate, from actor and advocate Jamila Jamil, and who I actually mentioned in the pilot episode. First, change the conversation. When it comes to yourself, try to rephrase your self-talk by using more neutral terms and observations. If you're able-bodied, your legs are not logs. You know, they get you from point A to point B. Thank them for that. And when it comes to family and friends, shift the focus of conversations away from the body, shape, weight, calories, you know, shut down that tita who pulls the tumabaka card. 
And when it comes to social media, choose your influencers and sources wisely and read publications that don't trigger your body image issues. The next time you think about trying product X because influencer Y posted about it, chances are they're paid to do so and or they don't even use that product themselves. (laughs) Or before you loathe yourself because a certain influencer looks a certain way, chances are they have access to personal trainers, chefs or cooks, and doctors to help them look that way. Again, money plays such a huge role in this. Second, change how you approach food. Never take diet advice from someone on social media who isn't a registered dietitian. Choose food based on how you feel rather than how you think you should eat. This means considering what you really want and making a conscious eating decision. The key here is that you're not eating or restricting with the intention of manipulating your weight. I can't count how many times I've seen young women post about how they want to eat a certain food, but then again, oh no, it's going to make me fat. Or, well, I got to work out because I ate this amount of food yesterday. It's, it's a bit disheartening and heartbreaking that they do it in the name of loving themselves. And I don't know, help me out here. Like, how do you approach somebody and in a way kind of like confront or talk to them about it anyway you can probably send me a dm or email me about that because i think there needs to be a conversation about this third and last change the way you exercise you know engage in an activity that you truly enjoy so would you rather walk your dog rather than run on a treadmill I mean, do that. Would you rather dance your heart out to the latest BTS song instead of doing burpees? By all means, go ahead. More importantly, try not to judge the quality of your exercise based upon the calories it burns, but whether it makes you feel good. Listen to your body and skip days if you just, you know, don't feel up to it. But, 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 don't let it get to a point where you're using listen to your body quotes to get in the way of discipline there's a fine line between listening to your body and procrastinating (laughs) at the end of each episode of the i way podcast host jamila jamil asks her guest what do you weigh She doesn't mean what they weigh in kilos or pounds, but by other facets of their life which they weigh themselves. I've long thought about this, you know, what I weigh. I weigh... (laughs) I weigh my indomitable spirit of learning new things and unlearning the outdated. I weigh my meaningful close friendships built on mutual respect, understanding, and support. I weigh my caring nature as a daughter and sister, imperfect as I may be in those roles, let's admit. I weigh my creativity and courage to pursue outlets of creativity. 
even when they don't always necessarily bear meaningful or profitable fruits. I weigh my willingness to stand by people who come from marginalized communities and learning more about how they rise from their marginalization. I weigh my feminism. I weigh my progress, not perfection. So thanks for joining me in this episode of Feminist in Progress. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Feminist in Progress Pod. Got any idea for future episodes? You know, any reaction to this or past episodes? Send an email to feministinprogresspod at gmail.com. If you find value in what I do, consider giving a donation via paypal.me slash feministinprogress. As always, remember that when it comes to your relationship with your body, it's about progress, not perfection.